0: Well, our sermon passage this morning is Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. Uh, We've been going through the book of Romans, um, but we're pausing. Nick is out of town, and so uh, we wanted to uh, go over this passage in Galatians, which has a lot of parallels with what we've been considering in the book of Romans, especially in chapters 6 through 8. We've just arrived at chapter 8 in Romans, and we've been uh, discussing... uh, the believer's relationship to the law and our ongoing struggle against the sinfulness of our flesh. And if Romans is kind of the full treatise that God, uh, that Paul writes about the gospel, laying out all the details and all the implications of the gospel, Galatians kind of zooms in on the very core of the gospel and really digs deeply into uh, the very core, which is justification by faith alone. It's one of the first letters that ro- that Paul wrote and it was vital in understanding just what it was that christ came to do and so uh, i'll read for us Uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 2 verses 19 through 21 we're picking up a little bit in the middle of paul's argument so i'm going to read starting in verse 15 just to get us a little bit into the flow of what paul has been saying but we'll focus on verses 19 through 21 this morning so follow along with me as i read starting in verse (coughs) excuse me verse 15 of galatians chapter 2 and remember that this is And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord stands forever. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would bless it now. Lord, our eyes are darkened and our hearts are darkened and unable to understand your word if your spirit does not move among us. So we pray for the illuminating work of your spirit in our hearts, that we would be able to have our eyes opened and our hearts open to receive what you would have us learn uh, from the disclosure of yourself in your word, that uh, we would be able to rightly understand the gospel and the glorious uh, work of Christ on our behalf, that you have freed us from the demands of the law and have freed us to life in Christ apply this word to us this morning we ask in christ's name for his sake amen well a man in the uh, early 1800s time period decides that he wants to head into town and so he heads out of his house he walks out the front door and he walks out to the kind of stable area next to his home uh, to the hitching post where his horse is hitched and he's going to take the horse into town but before he gets on the horse he grabs his rifle from uh, kind of leaning up against the stable wall and he points it at the horse and shoots the horse and kills it. And uh, then he begins telling the horse as it's laying there on the ground, dead. He says, all right, horse, come on, let's go. It's time to go into town. What are you doing? Why won't you get up? And he begins kicking the horse. It's not moving. The horse, of course, is dead. And so it doesn't make even the slightest Uh, move to get up and to bear its master on his way into town so he begins kicking it he begins whipping it he begins beating this dead horse and he gets so angry and so frustrated and he's yelling uh, at this horse that it's not doing what he asked it to do that his family overhears what's going on and they run out of the house to see what's happening and they see that the master of the horse is just yelling at this dead horse and, and beating this dead horse on the ground and they too join in and they begin kicking the horse as well and yelling at it and and uh, being angry at it and saying why aren't you getting up why aren't you bearing him into town and we have this saying uh, beating a dead horse and we use it to refer to things that are useless Uh, what an act of folly to to look at a dead horse and to say what are you doing get up take me into town uh, we use it to refer to things when we're just kind of beating our heads against a wall, when we're trying an action over and over, and it just isn't producing any results. It's as foolish as beating a dead horse. And what I want us to see through this uh, little illustration of this famous saying is a bit of a, an allegory for us as we consider this passage as Paul addresses the believer's relationship to the law. Uh, you could consider the master of this horse to be the law. And the horse is you. The dead horse is you and me if we are in Christ. And the family of this master of the horse are the Judaizers, uh, the circumcision party that Paul is arguing against in Galatians. And what we're going to see in, uh, in, in, in this short section of Paul's argument is that we have died to the law and that we live to and for and through Christ. And I've titled this sermon uh, a pretty cringeworthy title. It's pretty terrible. Uh, it's not going to win any awards, but I've titled it um, Death, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Hallowedness. A bit clunky. Um, Death, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Hallowedness. And I, I named it that because those three phrases kind of follow along with the outline that I have for us with my three points and the three points that we see here in this text. And those three points are this. First, We're going to see the vital death. The vital death. Second, we'll see the vicarious doer. The vicarious doer. And then third, we'll see the vindicated deliverer. The vindicated deliverer. So first, the vital death, the vicarious doer, and the vindicated deliverer. So first, let's consider the vital death. Now, vital here, of course, refers to that which corresponds to life. You think of vital signs your heartbeat your your breath um, or vitality life and vigor and energy and so uh, what i mean by vital death is this type of death which uh, is characterized by life uh, paradoxically or or produces life or brings about life and we're going to see in in verse 19 that paul talks about this type of death this vital death that we must die in order to have life so look with me again in verse 19 He says this, he says, For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Now, what is he talking about here? Why is he saying, through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God? Well, remember that uh, what Paul is addressing here in the book of Galatians is uh, this controversy in the early church that kind of sprung out of this this party of people um, in the church, Uh, called the Judaizers, and these were basically Jewish Christians, or at least they claimed to be Christians. They had uh, become part of the early church, and they were Jews who believed that, uh, who who believed in Christ, who who had a lot of the right beliefs. They had joined with the church, some of them, you know, there were kind of even different factions, I think, within the Judaizers, but generally speaking, they probably would have acknowledged a lot of the same things that uh, the Christians uh, that Paul was ministering to would have Acknowledged, and that's why they were so persuasive and so dangerous. They would have acknowledged that Christ was the Messiah who came, who was the long-awaited Son of David that we just read about in Second Samuel, who was, uh, who had come, and perhaps had even come to die for sins, uh, the sins of his people. Who was kind of the ultimate sacrifice? But Paul recognized that although they had certain things right in their understanding of who Christ was, they had certain beliefs that were so that struck so. Close to the vitals to the core of the gospel so as to deny it entirely and that even though that they had some of these pieces in place that their uh, core belief uh, really rejected the gospel outright and their belief was this that yes maybe jesus came to be a sacrifice for sins that he came as the redeemer but in order to be saved in order to be right with god and to be righteous in his sight you needed jesus plus jesus plus something else and the something else for the judaizers was uh, some of the old testament jewish ceremonial laws and so things like circumcision and things like the jewish festivals uh, they were still uh, looking through the lens that in order to be right with god you basically had to be a jew and you had to follow along all the laws of moses and you know maybe where you fell short you had to offer these sacrifices but ultimately that it it wasn't only christ alone that saved but that it was Christ plus something else. And so Paul is addressing this, and he, he shows them that they have a wrong understanding of the law, of the purpose of the law. They're seeing the law as a means by which they can be made right with God, maybe through what Christ had done, but that ultimately it was something that na- they needed to do. There were still additional things that a believer needed to do in order to be right with God, other than just faith in Christ. And so Paul addresses this, And he too once uh, saw things this way, not, uh, not by looking to Christ, but he saw the law as a means by which he would have life, as the means by which he would be righteous before God and justified and vindicated by the Lord. And if he did all the right things according to the law, then he was righteous before God. And we know Paul's backstory, that he was the Pharisee of Pharisees, that he was far more righteous than you and I will ever be according to the law or at least to the pharisaical understanding of the law at that time. We know that he was zealous beyond all his peers, that he had advanced beyond all his peers in knowledge of the scriptures, that he probably had most or all of the Old Testament memorized uh, when he was a Pharisee, and that he was so zealous for the name of the Lord that he was persecuting Christians. In his mind, this was a noble and righteous thing to do for God because he was putting down what he saw to be blasphemers, idolaters that were corrupting the true worship of God. And so he was even putting Christians to death and, and taking them out of their homes because he thought he was being righteous before the Lord. And yet we know that when the Lord confronts him on the road to Damascus and reveals to him what he's been doing, that he's actually been persecuting not just the people of God, but God himself, that, he's, that he has been denying the Messiah, the Son of God, denying the Christ and that all these things that he, he was doing that he thought were righteous, that was earning him righteousness and right standing before God, were actually that which was condemning him. And which was showing him to be utterly unable to meet the requirements of God's law. And, and he will later say that even his best works were rubbish. Uh, and in fact, he uses a bit of a, a ruder word than rubbish. Uh, to describe his good works, but that they were useless, they were trash, they were garbage, that even his best intentions and his best works, apart from Christ, were absolutely useless and were nothing. And he recognized at that time that the purpose of the law in his life and in the life of the church, in you, in your life, and in my life, the primary purpose for God giving us the law is to kill us, is to slay us, or at least to show us that we've already been dead, that that the purpose of the law is to be like a mirror that is held up to our face and you look into it and you see a corpse. You see your own dead body in the mirror and you recognize that you are dead in your trespasses and sins, that there is nothing that you can do to measure up to the full judicial requirements of the law, that no one meets up, not a single person is righteous under the law. And so the purpose of the law cannot be to bring life if if its main purpose is to bring death and to show us our death, our inability to be made alive and to be made righteous through the law, you can't look to the law to bring life, as we've seen in Romans 6 and 7. And so that's why he says it's through the law that he died to the law. It's through putting this mirror up to his face and really examining himself that he was brought low, that he was killed, that he was slain by the law, that its demands were so overwhelming and that he could not bear the weight of the commands and the demands of the law, that he was as dead, that he was crushed by the law. And that's the purpose that God sent it uh, for for it to do in our lives. But then he says that he died to the law, through the law. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that he died to the law? Well, we've seen a, a great illustration of this that he develops in the book of Romans uh, with this illustration of a marriage covenant. Um, if a spouse, uh, if people are married and then one of, the spouse, uh, one of the spouses passes away and dies, then the other spouse is no longer bound to that person in marriage. The, uh, the living spouse can go and enter into a new marriage and they're not guilty of, of violating their marriage, uh, their previous marriage, because um, till death do us part, the, the covenant has been fulfilled. And they're no longer bound to the same spouse. Or if a slave were to die, they're no longer under the mastery of their previous master, like we see with the dead horse. The dead horse is no longer obligated to bear its master into town, and indeed it cannot. And so when he says, I died to the law, he means that he died to it as a means of his righteousness, as a means of attaining to life as a means of being made right before God, that the law was utterly unable to do that for him and in him because all it could do was crush him and condemn him and kill him. And so he dies to the law. The law no longer has any hold over him. It's no longer his master. He's no longer married to it or enslaved to it, but he's married to another. And that's what he goes on and describes. He says, Through the law, I died to the law. But he doesn't leave us there. He says, so that I might live to God. Uh, This is the vital death, uh, that there is a death that takes place. And when we uh, hold the mirror of the law up to our faces and we see our death, um, that that it crushes us, that it brings us to the point where we recognize that I cannot save myself. I cannot be righteous. Uh, I cannot meet any of the requirements of the law. Even my best works are tainted and corrupted by sin. There's nothing I can do to be made right with God and so I need someone else to do it for me, and in me, and through me, as we'll see later in this passage. And so he, in his death, he needs life, and that's what God gives to him. That when he died to the law, he was raised again with Christ, as we'll see in just a moment, so that he might live to God. And this helps us to see that this doesn't mean when we die to the law that there's no longer any need for obedience. There's no longer any need for doing what the Lord loves and for hating what he hates. Because this isn't a, uh, I died to the law and now I'm just dead. And now I just walk around doing whatever I want and the law has no hold on me. Um, But rather, there's a life that comes in that he lives to God and so he begins to uh, love what God loves, hate what God hates, uh, longs to obey and to do what pleases the Lord. And so we must do away with a legalistic understanding of the law, where the law is a means by which we can be saved, but we also must do away with an antinomian or anti-law view, uh, where we think that there's, there's no commands, there's no um, expectations of God on how we ought to live but that the law has been done away with as the standard by righteousness that we must attain to in order to be right with God, but instead it becomes a useful tool to us, a helpful picture of God's heart so that we can know what he loves and we can do what pleases him in freedom, that it's no longer an attempt to earn God's favor, but we have God's favor. And so when he gives us his law, when we see his commands and we want to live by them, there are means by which we can express our love to God because he has redeemed us and made us alive in Christ. And that's what we see coming up next. So we've seen the vital death, that when we consider the law and we feel the, the guilt and the shame and the condemnation and the crushing weight of the law and we sin over and over and over again and we feel so condemned because we, we recognize that we fall short so far of what God has called us to be uh, that it draws us to Christ, it gives us life, that we point to our life in Christ and then we see uh, that we've had a vital death and then... Uh, that our life comes by the vicarious doer. The vicarious doer vicarious, meaning that someone is doing something in someone else um, that uh, almost like a, uh, I don't know, a ventriloquist or puppet master or something like that. Uh, The Lord's not our puppet master. It's not a great illustration, but vicarious doer that the Lord is doing uh, things in us and through us, that he is giving us life. And so Paul says in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Here Paul is unpacking uh, what theologians have called uh, union with Christ. Union with Christ. And, and Paul is describing the fact that, uh, that Christ is our representative and we have been so united with him, again, as in a marriage or something like that, um, to where when he died, we died. Uh, that on the cross, Christ didn't just represent us as our federal head, although he was that, just as Adam represented us in the garden, but just as we were in Adam, uh, in his loins, so to speak, we were to descend from him, from his nature, so too we were united to Christ in him, so that when he was crucified for our sins, it's as if we were crucified as well. And so any anytime you sin, if you are in Christ, your sins have already been punished. Your sins have already been condemned in the flesh of Jesus Christ. And there is therefore, as we saw, uh, I think it was last week, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The penalty of your sin has already been dealt with. He cried out on the cross, it is finished, and indeed it is, for you have been crucified with Christ. And then he talks about, okay, if we've died, if the law has killed us, if we've been killed on the cross because of the condemnation of the law, how can we live? How can we live to God. He says that it is no longer I who live, no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. That the source of our life cannot be ourselves because we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That any ability to please God and to do what is pleasing in his sight cannot come from us. We've been killed, we've been crushed, uh, we've been shot by the master of the law. And so any life that we have must be Uh, given to us and worked through us by Christ himself and and Christ says that he will do that he says in John 17 that he is the vine and we are the branches and anyone who is grafted into the vine receives life through the vine that though we once were dead branches once we have been grafted in we receive new life and we know that Christ dwells in us richly by his spirit and that his spirit is at work uh, to will and to work for his good pleasure in us that he has uh, set good works before us that we might walk in them uh, and that he is working in us his life through us and so when you uh, see the areas in your life when you're confronted with the condemnation of the law and you see the ways that you sin and fall short you must recognize that uh, that pulling yourself up by your bootstraps that there's nothing that you can do to try to white knuckle and and be as you know to, to figure things out to get yourself together in order to please god that you do not have the strength to please God on your own, but it's only by relying on the Lord Jesus Christ, who works in you by his Spirit, that you can be sanctified and grow and come to do what is pleasing in God's sight. That anything good in you is worked in you by Christ and by the Spirit of Christ. You can think of it like a seed that has been planted and, and Christ is, is uh, that seed is growing in you and, and blooming and producing fruit that's the life of Christ that is uh, that is rising up in you. Uh, I think of the um if you've seen the Lord of the Rings or read the Lord of the Rings, uh, I'm thinking of the the uh, movie because the the visuals are very powerful here but you may remember the scene of I believe his name's Théoden, the king of Rohan, and he has been corrupted uh, for some time by Gríma Wormtongue, this kind of nasty character um who has been corrupting him and and uh and you see the king in his corruption and he's on the brink of death really and he's pale and his hair is all grown out and scraggly and white and he can barely talk and barely move and he clearly doesn't have his right mind and he's making all sorts of wicked decisions that are leading Rohan down the path of peril and then when that influence is taken away when I think it's Gandalf comes in and you know some Lord of the Rings nerds are going to Uh, correct me i'm sure after the service but uh, comes in and and kind of uh, gets rid of that influence and brings new life to this king you see this transformation uh, that takes place that color begins to return to his cheeks and his hair goes from this kind of wispy white to kind of a golden blonde and and gets neater and tidier and you can see his eyes start to open up and he begins to have his right mind and he's able to speak and and have joy and gladness and be the good king that he once was and that's a picture of the life that has been placed in him that's kind of showing itself gradually uh, in, in his complexion and, and even in the decisions that he's making. And there's something like that in what Christ is doing in you and in me. That it's a lifelong process for us, but that the Lord is working life in us and through us by his Spirit. And that day by day we are transformed more and more after the image of our Savior. And so even though we've died through the law, to the law, that the law no longer has its demands over us, we still live in greater obedience and faith as time goes on, not because we've figured it out and we've gotten our act together, but because the Lord works in us. We have a vicarious doer who gives us life. And so when you long to do what is good, when, as you see with Romans 7, when Paul is battling with the flesh and he's describing this ongoing war between what he wants to do and what he doesn't want to do and how often he slips up and he does things that he doesn't want to do and he fails to do the things that he wants, the only way to grow in that, the only way uh, to proceed in the Christian life is to look to Christ. It's not to strengthen yourself, but to go out in the strength of the Spirit. And you see the confidence that comes through this. That if you have the spirit of the living God within you, there is hope to grow and to advance in the Christian life. If you are struggling and weighed down by a sin, perhaps it was in your past, and the guilt and the shame whispers back into your ear and reminds you of what you did and just how shameful it was. Remember that that was nailed to the cross and that Christ is giving you new life. That was uh, the old man or the vestiges of the old man if you did this while you were in Christ, but it's not uh, the new man. It's not really you in some sense because Christ is now in you and he would never do something like that. Or maybe it's an ongoing repetitive sin that you just can't seem to shake and you feel like it's hopeless. How in the world will I ever be able to overcome this? I can't seem to shake it. You're right, you can't. But Christ can And he dwells within you. And so cry out to him. Take your sins to the cross and place them at his feet. Please, Lord, help me. I need you to do this in me and for me because I certainly can't do it for myself. And he will. He will put sin to death in you. Perhaps not in the timing that you would like, it's a gradual process, and he has his purposes, perhaps for delaying. But he has the power to cleanse you and has cleansed you in his sight so you can trust him with your sins and then finally we see the vital death we've died to the law through the law we see that christ now lives in us and what's the result of this why is this so important we'll see now that the right understanding of the gospel and the right relationship to the law as a believer vindicates our savior and so we see the vindicated deliverer here that what the uh, Judaizers were doing and what we do when we think that it's Jesus plus anything else that we need to drum up some sort of obedience on our own in order to please God, we're denying the very work that Christ came to do. Paul puts it this way. He, he extols the glory of Christ. He says, The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And faith is that tether, that line that connects us christ it's the instrument by which we receive life from christ it's like the connecting point of the vine and so he lives his new life by faith in the son of god and isn't this wonderful who loved me and gave himself for me this is the kind of savior who lives in us and through us and then he says i do not in verse 21 i do not nullify the grace of god For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. See, this is the logical outcome of what the Judaizers were saying and what we say when we deny uh, that, that Christ has done it all from beginning to end in us and for us. When we say that we must add anything, even the smallest little bit of effort, even the smallest little bit of obedience that justifies us before God, what we're basically saying is that at the end of the day, yes, maybe Christ did a lot of things for me, but at the end of the day, it was up to me. And who gets glorified in that? I do. You do. When we claim that there's something that we did to be acceptable before God, whether it's circumcision or whether it's some sort of other requirement that we expect from ourselves and from others to be right with God, we have destroyed what Christ has done. We have said that didn't matter. You know, it was inconsequential because ultimately you need to do something in order to earn God's favor. And he says, uh, Paul refuses to do that. I do not nullify the grace of God. He recognizes that all that he is is purely by God's grace. It's a gift from him, not according to anything that he has done. And in fact, all he did, as some theologians have said, was contribute to all we do in our salvation. All we contribute to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. Um, All we can bring is dirty rags and and the Lord clothes us in robes of white that from beginning to end, we point to Christ. And as we do this, as we have a right understanding of the gospel, that there's nothing that I can do, that I can't keep the law, that the law condemns me, and there's no way that I can measure up to what the Lord requires of me, Uh, and we point to Christ and we say, He did it all. He does it all. I can't be justified. I can't be sanctified apart from His work in me and for me and through me. We glorify the Savior because we truly proclaim that He did it all. From beginning to end, it is Christ alone if we deny this, we deny the glory due to our Savior's name. And so if you are uh, laboring under the law, if you feel burdened and weighted uh, under the requirements of the law and you're looking to yourself, whether it's uh, in a legalistic way where you're expecting yourself to, uh, to meet the requirements of the law, or in a antinomian way where you're saying there's no hope for me to ever uh, walk in greater obedience there's no hope for me ever to grow and so i might as well just throw up my hands and say it doesn't matter either way you're denying what christ has done you're denying the forgiveness that is yours in christ and you're denying the life that is yours in christ but if you embrace the gospel and you embrace the savior and all that he has done for you oh what glory it brings to his name We can say uh, with Paul that we are the sinner of sinners, that we are the lowliest of the lowly, that there was nothing good in us that merited us to God. And yet, look at his wonderful, glorious grace that he sent his Son to die in our place, that he united us to his Son purely by faith, which he gives to us as well, that from beginning to end, he did it all for us. There's nothing that we can contribute or have contributed, and our salvation does not depend on us moving forward. Christ did not save us so that we could get our act together later on. We'll still sin as Christians, and yet even then the Lord paid for those sins on the cross. And so we see that unlike the Judaizers, that we hold to Jesus plus nothing, that Christ has done it all for you and for me, that we do not look to the law at all as our master. We can't obey it, and we don't need to in order to be right with God, because Christ fully obeyed the law in our place. So look to him, trust in him, rely upon his strength in your life, rely upon his death for you, and look forward to his resurrection, where one day you will be fully delivered from this body of death. And you even have been delivered from the old man and are given new life even now. Look to him, cling to him, recognize that you have died to the law in this vital death, that it is christ who lives and works within you by his spirit all to the glory of his name uh, that demonstrates that he has done it all and that it indeed is finished for you and for me he who has ears to hear let him hear let's pray our father in heaven oh what a wonderful salvation you have worked for us Lord, how often we feel the guilt and the shame of the ways that we do not measure up to your law Where we long to obey you and to do what is right, and we long to put away the things that entangle us and that cause us to uh, distance ourselves from you and to look to earthly things and to look to sinful desires. And Father, we thank you that it is not up to us to turn the ship around, to get things figured out, uh, to make ourselves clean and presentable before you, but like the prodigal son, we can run to you dirty and filthy, still disgusting from uh, sleeping with the pigs And that you clean us, that you restore us to uh, your household. Uh, You slaughter the fattened calf, that you would feast with us. You put on your ring on us and your robe. And uh, you grant us so much grace, and you give us everlasting life with our Savior. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that the law no longer has its demands over us, but that we can walk in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake by your strength, by you doing it in us and for us. We pray that we would not rob you of your glory, that we would not insist that we have done anything to earn our salvation, but that we would always point to Christ and say, woe is I, I'm but a worm, I can do no uh, good thing that can please God, but it is him who does these things in me and for me. Praise be to Christ. Lord, we ask that you would exalt Christ among us. And we pray these things in his name and for his sake. Amen.